The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this, this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. As uh, we get ready to uh, start the school year again, I uh, invite you to take a journey back to a scary place in your life, perhaps a place of fear and intrepidation, a place of uncertainty and dread, I invite you to return to your junior high cafeteria. <laughs> Samantha, you have this to look forward to. A few years ago in the confirmation class, as part of a unit on friendship, our confirmation teachers asked them to make a social map of the lunchroom at their school. Apparently, this was a very simple exercise for the kids. They did it very quickly, and they were able to talk at great length about uh, the social geography of the lunchroom. And uh, this became a part of a spirited conversation on social relationships with peers and uh, the meaning of friendship. My own experience with lunchrooms in junior high is a complete blank to me, and I don't know if that means it was so horrible I've just completely blocked it out. Um, but my, the memory, memories of lunchrooms that are much more near to me and visceral to me uh, came as an adult, um, as an adult employee and spouse in several boarding schools where dining hall meals are central uh, to the life of the school. So I had a number of uh, new kid on the block experiences in different places and at first there was the usual kind of lack of understanding of the social geography of, of the dining hall and there was that moment when I came off the serving line with my tray and then 
Where do I sit? Would someone invite me over to sit with them? Or should I quickly scan the scene and home in on the first open spot that I saw and just make a beeline for it? Or should I look for a completely empty table and go there and eat quickly and leave? Or I thought to myself, what what are the conversations that are going on around me as I walk down the dining hall looking for a place to sit? Were they, what were they talking about me? Or did they notice that I was kind of checking them out too? Do I want to sit there? Do I want to sit there? Um, would, they, would they notice me sizing them up? You know, what, what status would be implied by where I sat and who I sat with? Traumatic. I wonder if someone were to draw a social map of the coffee hour here at Trinity or of the places where we're all sitting here right now what would that map look like would each of us realize where we're located and what meaning that might have to someone who's new to this place how would that location be perceived and the permeability or non-permeability of boundaries on that map. In the gospel passage this morning, Jesus addresses the question of social geography in the context of meals. And with instructions for guests and hosts alike, Jesus tackles head on the question of honor, of status, in light of God's hospitality and of God's kingdom. Now it's important to note just for a moment that in the ancient world, meals were ceremonies which confirmed the social order. Unlike rituals which indicate some kind of a change is taking place, like we're going to have this, uh, this morning in a moment with uh, Samantha's baptism. She's going to have a new status after she's baptized as, as a member of the Christ body. Ceremonies confirm the social order. They say, this is the way it is, and nothing's changing. In the ancient world, social stratification was very rigid. We might argue that we have social stratification in this country, but I'll leave that aside for a moment. It's possible, uh, using ancient documents, to make clear diagrams of how people were to sit or recline as they sat around the table. Very, very clear places for people. Um, Jesus uses the example of a wedding feast in his parable. We might think of in our own day uh, seating charts for weddings. You know, how, how particular can you be, especially if it's a big wedding, right? You know, there are these uh, lists of names with numbers next to them and you have to go to that table and your name tag is there and if you sit somewhere else, oh my goodness, you know, you've upset somebody's very carefully laid plans about how, the, you know, how all the wheels will be greased socially during the reception, right? Many of us have experiences with those, uh, those kinds of um, eating arrangements, very, very rigidly set. Or think on a less, a less benign way, uh, not so long ago in this country, if you were a person of color, there were certain places you could not eat. End of story. And one of the big engines of the civil rights movement was, it, was desegregating lunch counters and having 
white people and black people sit together at a place where only white people were allowed to sit. So uh, we can probably think about those uh, places in our own lives where um, meals have suggested social stratification. Luke's gospel, in particular, of, of the four gospels, is very interested in this question of who eats with whom and where, and do they wash their hands first, and what are they eating. He's very tuned into uh, the social geography of meals. Now, if it isn't clear already, Jesus was not very interested in maintaining social geography. He was not very interested in maintaining the status quo, which he understood all too well. He's interested in bursting open the status quo and breaking through this social geography uh, that is present at meals and making new possibilities for individuals and groups to get closer to God and to live more fully into the kingdom of God. And in fact, the first Christian communities of those who, uh, who followed Jesus opened themselves up to quite a bit of scandal by the way they ate and with whom they ate and how they ate. If you look at the uh, accounts of early church history in the book of Acts in the New Testament, which is sort of the first church history that we have, uh, the biggest scandals and controversies all revolve around table fellowship, around food and who's eating with whom. Um, the first followers of Jesus were all Jews. And traditionally Jews had kept kosher and uh, had, were enjoined to eat only with other Jews who kept certain purity laws. But what was going to happen now that other people who were not Jews became interested in following this Jesus person? Were they going to eat together? What were they going to eat? How were they going to eat? Did they have to wash their hands first? In the story that we heard this morning from the gospel, Jesus is actually having a meal at a Pharisee's house. The Pharisees were particularly interested in rules around purity, particularly around food, not just around food, but certainly around food and eating together. And their name, in fact, from the Greek means separate. So Jesus is uh, right there in the midst of it, trying to uh, introduce a new idea about social geography. And he does it with quite a bang. I mean, imagine being yourself, being invited to somebody's house for dinner, and you start lecturing everyone about where people should sit and who, should be, who you should invite, um, what the guests should, how the guests should comport themselves, you know, what the host should serve for dinner. I mean, imagine it. So he's really quite free to call things as he sees them. And his instructions uh, are difficult. For the guests, stop trying to gain honor that is not yours to grasp at. Or perhaps another way to put it, stop moving the place cards around, will you? At first glance, Jesus' instructions here seem like Instructions on how to avoid being embarrassed, right? Or maybe to put it another way, here's how to really play the honor game more effectively. Pretend to be humble, and then you'll be even more honored. But I don't think that's what Jesus is really saying. He's not about, Jesus is never about pretending. 
Jesus is saying that the real exaltation, the real honor, the real sense of worthiness and purpose in our lives comes initially from acknowledging one's limitations, one's humanity, one's brokenness even. And the real exaltation, the real lifting up, comes from God, not from other people. We experience God's lifting us up as we take a realistic look at ourselves and yet also know ourselves to be loved deeply by God. To paraphrase George Buttrick, preacher to Harvard University in the mid-50s, I think it was, and uh, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, George Buttrick uh, writes, Real humility, and that's what Jesus is talking about here, I think, is real humility, springs from reverence. Reverence for God, reverence for one's fellow human beings, and the knowledge of sins that have been forgiven. It is such humility that God honors. And that's the honor that we're looking for, not honor from humans. So those are some instructions for guests, for hosts. Don't use your invitations as a way to build power and prestige. Or put another way, don't use your invitations to cement the social order. Instead, invite the poor, the lame, the sick. Now, what does that mean for us, exactly, as a parish? Our context is not the same as the early church. In the ancient world, wealth and poverty were much, much closer together in everyday social relationships. I mean, poor people and rich people really were much more cheek by jowl than we are these days. The car has made it possible for rich people and the plane and television and the internet has made it much easier for rich people to get away from poor people and for people in general to be more isolated from one another in general. So how does this affect us? this injunction. Well, our challenge in Concord and Acton and places around here is to go out into the wider world and seek out those who may be to us poor and the lame and the blind, to seek the other out in the world and to serve them and to serve beside them and to be served by them. One example that immediately comes to mind is, is our soup kitchen. Uh, the folks in our parish that have for decades gone down into the heart of the city and served people food, all sorts and conditions, at that table at the cathedral. Our challenge is also to invite more people to the table that is being set here in our midst and to be attentive to the stranger who arrives here, being mindful of our own social geography and being willing to open it up for anyone who is new. To use, again, the rather homely metaphor I began with, Jesus calls us to keep our parish table, this table, the tables that serve people food at coffee hour, all of our tables, we're called to keep our parish tables from feeling like the junior high cafeteria to anyone 
who comes through our doors. Amen.